As our children uh, make their way over to CFC Kids, be prayerful for our uh, volunteers that uh, so graciously are spending time instructing them this morning. Uh, Let's be in a prayerful attitude in our hearts and our minds as we ask the Lord to do the same for us, to instruct us from His Word. So I want to ask you to just pray with me before we dive into Proverbs 2 this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us guidance. We pray that we would want it, that we would receive it, understand it, help, you know, make it clear to us, Father, because we get confused and uh, we, we need some clarity, Father, and we ask that you would give it to us and also the grace that we need to live it out, to, to actually be the people that uh, you've wanted us to be, that you want us to be, that you are making us to be. And we know you use your word to do it. We ask that that would be the case now as we open up to Proverbs 2. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So moving through our series in Proverbs, we're finding ourselves right now in Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, let me just go ahead and just start with what I think is difficult. What I think is difficult is if we were to think that only Christians can do wise things, that that Christians have the corner on wisdom, and that if you're not a Christian, everything you do is foolish, that probably wouldn't really match our experience, right? You probably all know some Christians who have done some things that are not real wise, and then you have some non-Christian family members, maybe, that you look up to because they're financially sharp or whatever. There's some wisdom there. So we don't want to say, you know, if you're wise, you're a Christian. If you're a foolish, you're not a Christian. Because that's too simplistic. I think there's something that we could categorize as accidental wisdom. Right? Or incidental wisdom. It's like when somebody gets something right because they just happen to get it right. Versus really wanting to get it right. Okay? Um, when the Proverbs talk about wisdom, they're not saying no one else can do wisdom, but there's the pursuit of wisdom that is the Christian. The follower of God doesn't just receive wisdom sometimes or sometimes does wise things, but it's the pursuing of it. So I want you to think of wisdom more as the identity of the person, not so much as the individual acts that a person does. Someone can do a wise thing, and they are still a fool. The person that is wise, that Proverbs talk about, is wise not because they do a wise thing here and there, but because in their innermost self, they pursue it. Okay, They pursue it. I want you to see that right away. Let's get into the verses quickly. We're going to do all of chapter 2, but let's hang out in the first five verses to start. The first five verses, and what I want you to see is not just when wisdom happens to be the right thing to do, uh, when it just happens to be that you grew up with the standard and that's why you do the wise thing, but the pursuit of it, you want it. That's what the Proverbs are after. Again, the father giving the uh, passing down wisdom to his son. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, 
and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see that he is not saying if you do the the wise thing once in a while, if you get certain actions right, but it's the pursuit of it, and what is the result, verse 5, then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here's what I want to try to, the case I want to try to make with you this morning. I don't think these verses are saying, if you seek really hard for wisdom, then God will be like, okay, and then grant you wisdom and knowledge of God. Okay? If I needed to seek for wisdom in order to find God, well, first of all, that, that means I have to in some way earn my salvation. But the, the real dilemma is, is it wise to want to seek it? Yeah. So why do I seek it and then get it? Or you could put it another way, when you think of the sort of theme verse of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7, and then you see it again in chapter 9, verse 10, 1, 7, and 9, 10, you can highlight those two, because those are like the theme passage. And remember, that right there is made really clear, what is the beginning of wisdom? The start of it, the very beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? So the beginning of wisdom, where you begin, is to fear the Lord. When you read through the Old Testament, those who had faith, they feared God, and those who didn't have faith didn't fear God. You didn't really have this in-between category. So knowing God is fearing God. It's the same reality. So the Proverbs tell us the beginning of wisdom is it starts with God. I fear him. I want to know him. I want to have a relationship with him. That's the beginning, and then you grow from there. Then here you get to chapter 2, and it's going, seek it, pursue it, chase it. And if you chase it, then you'll know God. Doesn't that sound like the reverse? Then you'll fear God. Well, if I was chasing it and wanting it and desiring it, I already kind of feared God in order to chase it and want it. It's like when God, I mean, this is written by Solomon, right? You remember when God asked Solomon, I'll give you whatever you, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Remember that? Solomon asked for wisdom. And what did God say? Okay, I'm going to give you wisdom and riches. The irony there is Solomon already was wise enough to ask for wisdom. See? So these verses can't mean, hey, if you chase wisdom, God's going to stand there with his arms folded going, all right, keep coming, keep getting wise. And then when you graduate from Wisdom University, when you finally get the wisdom degree, then God is going to go, okay, fine, let's have a relationship. That, that can't be true because it takes knowing God in order to pursue God. So when you read verse 5, you read verses 1 through 5, and it has this if-then, I don't think it means If you secure all these credits, then you will graduate, as in a chronological sequence, right? If you put in your credit card, then you make the purchase. Like this, step one, step two, maybe step three. It's not steps, but they're the same reality. I try to think of ways to explain this, and maybe this is 
not helpful. I don't know. But think of it this way. You might say you're a traveler. If somebody asks, what, well, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I'm a traveler, right? I, I love to travel. Okay. And somebody asks you, when's the last time you took a trip? And you're like, ah, oh, I think about a decade ago. Where'd you go? Ah, Walmart, you know. Ah, you left the house? I did. I left the house 10 years ago, you know. You'd be like, you're not a traveler, right? But if you were to say, well, was the last time you took a trip? I took a trip last week. I I collect patches. Here's all my national parks. I I collect baseball stadiums. Here's all the tickets and a glass, right? Here's my map, my plan of where I'm going to go, how I'm going to go. I have a packing strategy. I pack better than anyone in the family because I've traveled so much. I know how to pack. I know how to choose the best security line to get through TSA. I I, I know how to, uh, uh, you know, when I hit the ground, I know how to... um, pick the best spots to eat, and and those kinds of things. You go, okay, if you know how to do that, and you collect patches, and you travel frequently, and you have all these skills, then you're a traveler. But that's not me saying, if you book so many trips, then you're a traveler. I'm saying, if that's true of you, you are a traveler. It's not a chronological sequence, but one is the other thing. It's, It's the proof of it, see? Somebody tells you, I'm a gamer. Oh, I love gaming. I'm such a board game geek. And you're like, wow, what do you have? They're like, ah, you know, Monopoly somewhere? I don't know if I have all the pieces. Right? Gamers game. And they, they buy new ones and they investigate it. And they read, they, they read articles on how to, how to increase their ability in, to play Parcheesi. I don't know. I don't know why that game just came to my mind. That was really weird. Um, well, if your closet is chock full of games, and a lot of them are like ones people never even heard of, yeah, you're a board game. Then you're a board game geek. Not because you earned it, but because that is what it is. So I think what the Proverbs are saying here is not, if you pursue wisdom, then eventually you earn the fear of the Lord. But the Proverbs are saying, if you pursue wisdom, you know what? There it is. Then that's the fear of the Lord then. It is it. So I ask you, are you a wise person? Do you fear the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Now, some of you might be racing to, huh, have I said a prayer? Hmm. Well, it's, it's not just about did you say a prayer one time, but throughout Scripture, it's what does your life look like? Not to earn it. Not to earn it. But being a Christian looks like something. And here, it's not saying you do wise things from time to time. It's not even saying you always do the wise thing every time. It's saying you desire it. You you want it. Look at the words that he uses to stack going after wisdom, verse 1. You receive it. Okay? It's there to be given to you. You don't produce it. You sit in a, in a mode of reception because you don't generate wisdom. Without wisdom being given to you from the outside, you would just be a fool. So would I. But you receive these words rather than rejecting them. You receive them, but then it gets active. Not just sitting there receiving it. When it comes to me, it comes to me. But getting up out of your seat and chasing it like you would a treasure. Right? 
You receive my words. You treasure them up. Has anyone ever asked you, if there was a fire in your house, what are the top five things you're grabbing? I don't know. I get asked that once in a while. I don't know. People are weird. And then you start thinking, oh, I'd grab this. No, I wouldn't. I'd grab this. You're, you're sizing up what are the things that you value the most. What are the most irreplaceable things in your house, right? That heirloom, that thing that was handed down to you, that thing that you saved up all this money for and it would be hard to replace, you treasure those things. So it's a position of your heart. You're receiving it. You receive it. You treasure it. You make your ear attentive to it. You incline your, your heart to understanding. Have you ever been, I don't know, in a conversation with somebody and they're talking and you're kind of like, ah, you're starting to get bored and you start thinking about what's the score in the game and you're like, wait, pay attention, pay attention, that's rude. No one's ever done that? Okay, well, I'm sorry. Sometimes that happens to me, okay? Sometimes I get distracted. It's not that I don't like you. I'm just a human being. But what, what are you doing when, you, when you, your thoughts are going like this and you're like bringing them here? You're a student, you're in class, you're like, oh, this class is so boring. Wait, your grades, you know? There's something on the line here. Pay attention. Training your attention. That's what he's talking about. You can come to church, you can listen to sermons, you can even, have you ever just done your devotional and you're like, and then Abraham did this and he did that. Okay, check, that was my devotional today. But you didn't incline your heart to it, right? I think that's better than not opening the Bible at all. I think sometimes you've got to open the Bible and you got to, you, you need to give your heart something to, to train it toward. But you're making your ear attentive inclining your heart to understanding. My heart naturally is inclined toward foolishness, and I've got to incline it toward understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, sometimes you're sitting there wanting to receive it. It's not coming, and you're like, Lord, would you give it? Call out for it. Raise your voice for it. Seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. Like a crazy person with a map and an X on it. And my great, great uncle said that one of the founding fathers, you know, I watched tre- National Treasure. I think this thing is buried here. And you're like, man, you're crazy. They are kind of crazy, right? They're just hoping that they find this ancient artifact, this relic. And it's that kind of drive that he's pointing to here. Because searching for a hidden treasure is an ancient reality, especially when you didn't have banks and everything else. <laughs> Hidden treasure, search for it, seek it, raise your voice for it, call out for it, incline your heart to it, make your ear attentive to it, treasure it up, receive it. All those words as they stack, they're showing you this has to do with your heart and your desire to chase it down, to to want it. And we've all had that moment when somebody's giving us really good advice And in the back of our minds, sometimes to the front of our minds, sometimes it even comes out of our stupid mouths when we say, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that right now. I want to stew in my foolishness right now. Somebody opens the Bible, don't, 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 don't preach to me. Don't preach to me. That's that's the wickedness that our hearts are inclined to. What we do need to be preached to, even in those moments where it's difficult to hear. We need to make sure that our hearts are in the right place to receive wisdom, to want wisdom, 
to chase it down like treasure. It's the pursuit. The pursuit of wisdom is the person who, uh, the pursuer of wisdom is the person who understands the fear of the Lord, verse 5, and finds the knowledge of God. So do you know God? When somebody pops the hood on your life and does the check, what do they need to see under there? Do you pursue God's wisdom? Do you pursue it? And I love the words he uses for wisdom. He actually here doesn't use wisdom until verse 6. But the first five verses, what are you receiving? God's words. What are you treasuring up? God's commandments. What are you making your, or it does use wisdom in verse 2. Missed that one. Making your ear attentive to what? To wisdom. Inclining your heart to understanding, which he uses twice. He uses understanding again in verse 3. He also calls it insight in verse 3. I didn't see that. Ooh, now I have this insight, right? That's how wisdom works. It's like silver, verse 4. It's like hidden treasure, verse 4. It is wisdom and it is knowledge, verse 5. It's understanding. So that's what we're after. That's what we're seeking. That's what we treasure. And to do that is to know God, and to know God is to do that. Why? Because you can't do it outside of God. Look what it says in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You remember Job was in this predicament. What did Job need? Did Job need wisdom? Three friends try to give him some, and he's like, no, that doesn't make sense. And then a fourth friend came to give him some, and he's like, I still don't get it. Then God opened up and gave him wisdom. He didn't give him his answer. You read Job, God didn't give Job his exact answer. Oh, here's what happened. But he gave him wisdom. Some of us, we think we need certain answers from God. What you really need is wisdom from God. The wisdom to know that, uh, no, I'm not going to give that to you right now, is good for you. You may not know why he's not giving that to you right now. But if he gives you the wisdom, he grants you the wisdom to know God's got this. God's sovereign. I don't think he's up there biting his nails. I think he knows what he's doing. That's the wisdom you need, not necessarily the thing you're asking for. The Lord gives wisdom, like he gave it to Job, like he gave it to Solomon. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now he goes into the benefit of it. The person who seeks the Lord by treasuring his knowledge makes it all the way. They're protected by that wisdom. So if you think of the Christian walk as a path, a journey through a scary forest, there's wolves, there's bears, you know. Are you going to make it? Wisdom ensures that you make it. The fool veers off the path. A wise person stays on the path, and wisdom keeps them on that path. Check it out in verse 7 and following. He stores up, the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk integrity. So, so Solomon's saying, you seek, treasure, you seek wisdom like a treasure, that means you know the Lord. And if you know the Lord, then he gives you wisdom and he doles it out as, in, in ways that it protects you. It's a shield for you. You're upright, you walk in integrity, and he protects that for you. He guards the paths of justice, verse 8 watching over the way of his saints, his holy ones. 
So wisdom is the protection that you need to make it through this life. To make it through this life. How much do we bank on the sort of general wisdom that we have, whatever we were raised with, our college degrees, our education, your favorite YouTuber. There's all sorts of sources from which we get wisdom to make decisions. The Bible's saying if, if the Lord himself is not your ultimate source, you might get adept at protect, protecting your bank account. What about protecting your soul, your life? Will you make it to the end? Well, you will if you allow wisdom to guide you, to watch over you, to guard your paths, to watch over your way. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. I love that. Wisdom kind of tastes bad. It's like you come home from the doctor's office, you're like, ugh, I guess I should stop eating junk food. And it's been a long time since you just tried real healthy food, and that first bite is like, ugh, it's like veggies. Right? That's, I think that's how wisdom is. But you develop a taste for it. I think that's why he says wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It will be. It may not be as pleasant as first, but it grows in it. And part of how wisdom protects you is God gives you a taste for the right decision. And you start getting a bad taste for the bad decision. Like after a year of dieting and you go back to the Flaming Hot Cheetos, you're like, whoa. I used to eat those every day. Right? As you develop your taste for wisdom, wise choices and wise decisions become more pleasant to you. And you start growing in your distaste of the bad decisions that are bad for you. Okay? Wise things will be pleasant to your soul, and that's how it protects you. It's almost like an internal guidance system, right? You were lost before, and now God has implanted the spiritual GPS in your heart and in your mind so you can tell where true north is in any given decision. So you read through the Proverbs, you go, wow, I was told that the Proverbs are really practical, and they are. But if you thought the Proverbs were going to be like, if you're in this situation, do this. If you're in this situation, do that. It does have a lot of that. But a lot of what the Proverbs has is just general wisdom so that whatever your situation, you can apply that general wisdom. Solomon wants to give you a taste for it. And as you develop that taste, you can discern the right path, the right way. What is, what is equity, righteousness, justice, verse 9, right? Then you will understand righteousness, justice, Equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Everybody wants to talk about equity. I'm, I'm not going to go off, I promise. Everyone wants to, that's the big thing right now is equity, equity, equity. Does God care about equity? Yes. Yes. His way. Right? His way. So, the world is going to clamor and tell you this is what's righteous. The world isn't always going to come to you and be like, actually, come do this evil thing. They, that is going to happen. But oftentimes it's like, ha, you grew up learning that that was the righteous thing? No. This is the righteous thing. Can you hear your shepherd's voice in that moment? 
Not if you haven't been developing a taste for it. Because our natural appetites incline toward junk food. And it takes wisdom, right? You go down the snack aisle and you're like, it's like fat-free. You're like, oh, <laughs> fat-free, humongous bag of Swedish fish. It's fat-free. I'm going to eat three of them. Right? Is that stupid? Yeah, that's stupid. But if you're just like, fat is bad, fat is bad, right? So it, what does it take to see past that marketing? Wisdom. And it's the same thing. The world is going to come, hey, this is fat-free. This is, this is good. This is equity. This is righteous. And you have to be able to discern, nah, I can smell that. That's going to taste bad. Well, that develops. And then discretion, the ability to choose, make the right choice, verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Understanding will deliver you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. There it is. They twist things. They try to make things sound a different way. They're, they're, they're not saying, hey, come, let's all die. It's No, this is life. Those are people who forsake the paths of rightness, uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So again, are they out overtly evil? No. It's guised in what is right. Right? So we come to a place in our society where uh, killing a baby is a right. Right? It's wrong to take away my right to kill a baby. So there's the, it's the right path made crooked, guised in uprightness. It's perverse, but it's devious. It's not just in your face perverse. They have arguments. And they try to lead you toward those arguments. And then you find yourself living in a place where innocent lives are snatched out of convenience for those who would take it. The paths of uprightness Paths of uprightness are forsaken in verse 13 for walking in darkness, which is really comfortable because light exposes stuff. It's devious, it's crooked, verse 15, but you'll be protected from that. You'll be protected from that if you pursue wisdom, if you love it, if you treasure it, if you chase it. You'll be protected from those things. That internal GPS system is going to guide you and you're going to start developing a taste for making good decisions and you're going to start noticing certain people in your lives that are actually bad company because they walk in darkness. I think one of the most obvious applications to this, there's at least two, but one of the most obvious applications is you've got to spend time in God's Word. (laughs) You have to spend time in God's Word. But one of the other applications, I think, is spending time around those that have a better taste in right actions than you do. So some of you are young Christians, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but it hasn't been until recently that you've really been pursuing, growing in your knowledge. You've got to get around veteran Christians that have been at this for a while. 
right? Like you're, you're, you're on this path, and there's some people that they've been hiking for a long time. You can tell by what they wear, how they comport themselves, that they're experienced hikers. You need to kind of get with those people and not the people that are straggling, constantly going off into the forest. Like that's going to end up being you. The Proverbs will eventually talk a lot about keeping company, having the right friends, but this is protecting you against people with perverted speech, people that are not, they're forsaking the paths of uprightness, people that walk in the ways of darkness, they rejoice in doing evil, they delight in perverseness of evil. And we all have friends, co-workers, family members who are in that place. And this doesn't mean you ignore them and cut them completely out of your life, but if that's all you have surrounding you, it's going to be difficult to develop that pleasant taste of wisdom from verse 10. And then he starts teasing something that's going to be a heavy theme pretty soon going forward, but it protects you from adultery. He says in verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to the death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Are you like, boy, that got real specific real fast, right? What is the big deal with adultery? Uh, Like I said, he's going to go in hard on this whole topic. He's just teasing it right now in these few verses. One of the reasons why... I think probably should be obvious. When you think about Christians who fall away, pastors who lose their ministry, how often it has something to do with adultery. It's just one of those big major traps uh, that is really difficult to come back from. It leads to death. I think of so many cases where prior to adultery, I think if you would have asked that guy, let's say, it's not that only guys commit adultery. If you were to ask him, you going to cheat on your wife? How many of those guys would have been like, yeah, I think probably in a few months. Probably in a few months, I think I'll do that. I think I'll dabble. I was like, no, 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 faithful. Until he meets her. Until he meets her. Until he's in that situation. And looks around and he's, it's covered by darkness. You wouldn't do it in front of people. That's when the people aren't around. You wouldn't do it at church. That's when you're not with the church people. When it becomes available, then what are you really made of in that moment? And I tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, If you're not pursuing wisdom now, when that moment comes, you're not ready for it. I don't care who you are. You're not ready for it unless you're developing wisdom now, pursuing wisdom now, so that when the opportunity comes to deviate from the path, the path of life, verse 19, you don't deviate. Not because you're such a disciplined person, but because the Lord is shaping you, protecting you with wisdom. Your protection is not how much you love your wife. 
There's going to be a come a time where you're quite disappointed in your wife. Now was your protection. There's going to come a time where she can't stand you, but this lady sweats you. Where's your protection then? Your protection needs to be the wisdom of God so that I stay on the right path, not because I love my wife so much. I stay on the path because the deviate from the path is stupid and leads to death. And this is life. Now, the bigger reason why adultery is such a big theme is because of why God created marriage. God created marriage as a symbol of covenant fidelity to remind us of fidelity to him. So in a very real way, this isn't really about your wife or your husband as much as it is fidelity to your Savior, fidelity to your covenant God. Adultery is, as the symbol of that, marriage being the symbol of covenant fidelity, adultery is the symbol of what? Walking away from it, throwing it in the trash for convenience, for feelings, for a momentary fling and then you before you realize it you've gone over the cliff and i think he's he's not picking on adultery because solomon is like i I did so much of it it's just really terrible or i don't know it's not a, a pet peeve topic for him i think it's because of what it represents so clearly the reason why adultery is so wicked is not because it ruins the hallmark story in the home though of course it does but it's because it represents utter betrayal for God and his grace. I'll just insert this here, but I think as the Proverbs point out particular blunders and particular sins, and you're sitting there wondering, can I come back from that? Yeah. That's what communion was about. Jesus taking the wrath for us. And that's why I started out by saying, if we had to earn knowledge of God, none of us would be in Not just those of us who did particular sins. None of us would be in. And so we come to the Father through Jesus Christ, recognizing it's my faith in Christ's work on my behalf. He took the death that I deserve. That's why I'm in. And that's why I can receive wisdom. However, we don't do that and then go, so I'm good, right? I'm good. I can just do whatever I want now. No. Because you're brought into covenant relationship with God and you live like a covenant person. You pursue wisdom. And wisdom guides you and protects you and takes you all the way home. Check it out in verses 20 to 22. If you're protected by this wisdom that you pursue, this knowledge of God that guides you, verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land And those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Isn't it God's MO? Um, Modus operandi, way of operating, the way he works, typical of God. To not just give you a task, but to give you what it takes to do the task. So he didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and was like, there's a particular tree that will mess you up, but you figure it out. Let's see what they do. Talks to the angels. No, don't tell them anything. No spoilers. This is the tree that will get you in trouble. 
Listen to me and don't eat it. Follow my words and you won't be in trouble. Disobey my words, big trouble. God's not setting a, a trap. And in the Proverbs, you're not walking this way going, ooh, I hope I make it. Mm, I'm not sure which path to take. Pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom, and I will guide you with it. I will guide you with the wisdom. You will walk. It, it reads like a promise. You will walk in the way of the good. You will keep to the paths of righteous of the righteous. Will I? Yes. If you know the Lord and he's protecting you with his wisdom, he will give you the wisdom it takes to stay on the path. You will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. You will inhabit the land. I think of Israel with the land promises. If you, you might even think of the, their journey toward the land and are they going to make it? Yes. What if, there's a, what if there's a big sea that we can't cross with an army behind us? I'll split it and then I'll kill the army. What if there's big walls that we can't penetrate? Walk around it, blow some stupid trumpets, and I'll break the walls. What if there's giants? I'll kill them. I'll do it. I do it. I, what if there's no food? I'll bring bread and you open the tent. There it is on the floor. Like, I do it. If you pursue me, I will get you home. I will bring you into the land. You will inhabit the land, but the wicked won't. The wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So stay the course. Stay the course. Knowing God means to seek his wisdom. Knowing God means to seek his wisdom, and that wisdom will guide us, will be our protection, our light, our GPS to help us make those decisions that we need to make. I don't know what you've got in front of you right now. You might have some very difficult decisions in front of you right now. You might not know what's coming this week. You might not know what's coming next month. But we don't wait until then to then open the Proverbs and find, like Ben was telling us, it's kind of too late then. We do it now. We pursue it now. So simple questions over lunch now as you think when you go home and talk with each other or whatever. Are you in the word? Are you in the word? That's how you seek wisdom. Are you in the word with others to help you see God's wisdom there? We do this journey together, and we grow in wisdom together. That is our protection, God's promised protection against veering off the path. Let's pray together. Fathers, we think about uh, this journey that we have with you. We're thankful that we're on it. We're thankful that you've given us the grace to know you, and we pray that we would continue to gain wisdom from you, Father, that we would grow in our knowledge, our understanding, uh, that we would continue to search for it, treasure it up, receive it, uh, understand it, pay attention to it, incline our hearts toward it, and we pray that we would see the evidence of it. When temptations arise, that we have the ability to say no, the wisdom to say no. And then on the other side, Lord, not that we would experience the flourishing of the Christian life. That we don't just have marriages that are just, they're still together. We just haven't divorced or there isn't, hasn't been adultery. But they would be great marriages. Marriages for other people to look at. That we wouldn't just be wise with our money because we want to not be broke. But that we would do good things with our money. And that we would be able to be generous in giving with our money and help other people with our money. We think of all kinds of different categories uh, that, the, that the scriptures talk about. And we want to grow in wisdom in them, Father. Not just to avoid the bad stuff, 
but to experience uh, a life that brings glory and honor to you, a worshipful life that is full of decisions. Keep us moving forward on your path as you protect us with your wisdom. Father, as we close in the song, Lord, would you work that down into our hearts, God? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close together. Oh, the depth of the riches, wisdom and knowledge of 